Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business news podcast from Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Tyler Orton. Got a lot of interesting reports out from PwC Canada, so we're going to look into everything from real estate to holiday shopping. But first, I, I do want to mention BIV's Smart Cities panel on October 18th at the Vancouver Club. You can join us for a discussion on the competitive opportunities and challenges for businesses as our cities evolve toward a more dynamic, connected, and optimally managed infrastructure. And a little later on in today's show, we're going to discuss with PwC Canada's John Bunting latest report on emerging trends in real estate. But first, we're going to talk a little bit about Canadians' plans to boost their holiday spending this year. Miles Gooding, he's the National Leader of Retail and Consumer Practice at PwC Canada. He joins us right now. All right, listeners, I know, I know, it's still only October, but Canadians already have holiday shopping on their brains right now, and they plan to spend more this year than they did last year. That's according to a new report out from PwC Canada. It's their 2018 holiday outlook, and with us to discuss it, it is Miles Gooding. He's the national leader of retail and consumer practice over at PwC Canada. Miles, good to have you on the show today. Thanks, Tyler. Good to be here. I, I see, you know, spending is going to be going up 3.7% versus last year. So the question is, what are we spending our money on this year? Uh, what, what are the top things that Canadians are going to be putting their hard-earned cash towards in time for the holiday season? Well, Tyler, uh, it's um, a bit of a growing trend, but there's three main areas. And if everybody thought it was all about gift cards, it's not. Um, there is a, a very large amount uh, that's going towards travel. Um, and if you're not traveling, there's a large amount going to gifts, physical gifts that people give to each other. Um, and then actually in the smaller category would be the gift cards. And what's interesting about uh, the report and the data that we've looked at is uh, the millennial generations, both Gen Z and the mature uh, millennials, are actually uh, very much into giving personal gifts to each other um, as opposed to uh, gift cards. Is that kind of surprising? Because I I was looking at those results and, and I'm just thinking about like maybe my own friends and family, what we exchange as well. And yeah, it's, it's, some people do the gift card thing. Some people don't. But I mean, is it generally surprising to see just where maybe priorities are for some of the younger generations? I think it's uh, when we first had the perception probably a few years ago as everybody was trying to guess what millennials and Gen Z were going to do because they are the new uh, generation of shoppers. We, um, you know, we perceived that gift cards because gift cards in general was a, such a growing uh, category and a category that uh, really alleviated the pressure from shopping. Um, but we're finding that uh, that the millennial and Gen Z uh, group are uh, are actually into physical gift giving. So what we see is a bit of a leveling off on the gift card playing field. Well, it makes me wonder because I, I think one reason this is just pure speculation on my part. You're the expert here, but if you're using gift cards, it's easy to use them for, say, e-commerce purchases. And I'm wondering if we have any insights on how people are really treating online shopping going forward for the upcoming holiday shopping season. What we're actually starting to find, it's a great question, Tyler. It's uh, we're, we're starting to see that 
Um, and again, going back to that millennial Gen Z group, which uh, grew up in technology, um, still loves the idea of going to a store, albeit a store with uh, that offers an experiential environment. So uh, the customers are certainly demanding more from their brick and mortar environments. Uh, but when it comes to technology, it's mostly being used to do quick price checking and uh, competitive analysis around the products themselves, as opposed to just e-commerce. And what we find in uh, in Canada is uh, groups like Amazon Prime and using uh, outlets such as that for e-commerce have still not quite caught up with our uh, neighbors to the south. Um, and in North America in general, has not really caught up with uh, with our Asian friends in uh, in China and Japan as well. You know, I, I might just speculate on my own, but sometimes it just comes from my own experience. I, shipping can be a, a, bit, a bit of a pain sometimes here in Canada, maybe costs as well. What what uh, trends are we expecting with regards to the way that goods are delivered or, or the way that we approach things that we buy online? I think the way the um, the way goods are delivered, um, the last mile solution will continue to be a bit of a challenge for retail in Canada. Canada has the population the size of California, but its land mass is three times larger than that of our neighbors to the south. So, the last mile solution of being able to figure that out is a bit challenging from a cost perspective on the retailer side, but. It is getting there. So the ability to ship and deliver uh, to the home uh, is becoming a normal expectation of consumers and retailers are actually starting to to figure it out and factor it into their overall uh, supply chain cost and strategy. And that's really the key is to be able to factor it into the retail strategy or the supply chain strategy um, as opposed to just trying to figure it out all in all on its own in isolation. Yeah, I, I can't wait until we get drones uh, literally just delivering things into my uh, front door. It's going to be it's going to be interesting. <laughs> I should say that. But going back to something you said just a few moments ago, you talked about the in store experience, and I, I mean, I if I'm doing shopping for a number of people, I'll stop by a, a Best Buy, and one of the things I've just noticed over the last you know few years is that you can do like VR goggles. You can test out a lot of the technology. It's open there for display. Why is it that we want more of that kind of tangible experience with regards to that. And I'm wondering if that is kind of an important distinction between maybe Canadian shoppers and those in other countries, other regions across the world that are still maybe a little bit more inclined than we are with regards to online shopping. It's great. Uh, great question, Tyler. It's, um, but we're actually starting to find that for brick and mortar to find the right balance with overall e-commerce, um, the experience in the store actually matters that much more. The, um, the ability to um, understand the, the channels of where our customers are going uh, is becoming uh, increasingly uh, important for the retail and the retailer's overall strategy. So the, um, the idea of being able to create a new experience in the brick and mortar is what's going to help drive brand awareness, be able to drive the experience and drive some of the stickiness with the, with the customer and get them connected to that retail brand. Uh, you mentioned Best Buy. That's a great example. Uh, Lowe's in the U.S. is also is, uh, testing and working with uh, virtual reality. Um, and then 
you know, just uh, if you think about uh, digitally native vertical brands such as Warby Parker or uh, Frank and Oak, which have started online but are now going into brick and mortar locations with an experience that's different than the traditional retail approach. And this is really all about the holistic balancing act of how to keep a hold of our customers. Uh, be able to create the experience as well as the ease in the uh, multi-channel uh, e-commerce environment. Yeah, and you said, you know, retain those customers. And I do feel guilty because you had mentioned it just a few moments ago. A lot of people, maybe they're using their phones, doing some price checks while they're wandering around those retail outlets and seeing, you know, maybe they want to have that physical experience of like looking at the item that they want to purchase before they, you know, finally actually push the button online and, and find a cheaper price online. You're the retail expert. Should I feel guilty about this? Am I, should I be doing it a little bit more inconspicuously not to draw attention to myself and, and look kind of like a, a rude potential customer at some of these stores? You know, actually, um, read, don't feel, uh, don't feel uncomfortable. Do it, do it all you want. Um, I do it as well. Um, but what, uh, what's happening in the overall retail strategy is, uh, you know, showrooming and web rooming certainly has, um, started out as a bit of a challenge and a threat uh, to retailers, but as retailers start to figure out, this can actually be advantageous to them as well. Uh, so when you're thinking about, again, the Best Buy uh, scenario, uh, Best Buy may be able to give you, uh, you know, the same price as what you can find it uh, online. So it's a bit of a price competitiveness game as well as a experiential. And retailers may just be thinking about just brand building and brand awareness. So if you think about um, uh, Samsung, who... Um, opens up a marketing showroom, so Yorkdale uh, in Toronto would be an example, or Soho in New York, you can't actually buy any products inside that environment. So the question is, is, is it a store? Is it a marketing showroom? But what you can do is test, feel, um, touch products, experience those products, and then they help you to understand where you can procure those products, whether they purchase them right online at that point, uh, or they direct you a few blocks down the road to uh, to pick up the product itself. So it's it's really starting to enhance the overall experience, and and retailers are becoming much more creative uh, around how to uh, to handle that. You know, in looking at with regards to how much we're going to be spending, uh, I mentioned at the top that uh, spending is going up three point seven percent this year. But I do see that there is a bit of a gap between what genders uh, intend to spend. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about the differences we're seeing between men and women when it comes to this year's holiday shopping season? Well, as um, again, when you get into the generational aspects, um, millennial moms um, are certainly uh, in a situation where the families are, are you know, they're starting out, um, they're in homes, they're. Um, looking to do um, a lot of those purchases, um, but it's—I uh, think—in the millennial group, it's actually almost—it's uh, almost even. So there's not one clear-cut winner, um, like we used to look at some of the previous generations with uh, the quote-unquote soccer moms of, uh, of the last generation. Um, you're starting to see a little bit more parity come uh, between the genders, uh, to where millennial dads are starting to get into the, uh, the shopping experience as well. Um, so as we uh, and we'll continue to monitor this as we as we go through each of these uh, these reports. But what we're starting to see in, in terms of the trend 
is gender parity is starting to uh, starting to become a little bit more even than it was with previous generations. Lastly, uh, before we let you go, there's one fascinating little tidbit in this that I, I wanted to ask you about, though. But I guess perceptions of how the economy is doing, that that's actually going to influence how much people are willing to spend. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, what this Outlook report found with regards to our perceptions of the economy's performance? It's a, it's a great question, Tyler, because there's, um, you know, as we, as we both know, there's a lot of uh, press and media information around, you know, debt levels continuing to rise within uh, Canadian households. Yet when we, when we dig below the surface in this report, we only find that about 19% of, um, of our participants are actually concerned about the overall debt. Um, and a lot of that does go back to all economic indicators continue to point positive in our economy. Uh, even with the, the latest uh, trade uncertainty that was, uh, that was going on during the time that the survey was taken, uh, everybody still felt uh, good about the economy and, and the economy was still, uh, you know, clicking on all cylinders. So uh, the perception about the economy and it being in a positive position uh, does contribute uh, from a perception perspective to um, how active people will buy and participate. Uh, and even with the cusp of rising interest rates, uh, most people equate that to larger mortgage amounts, but don't necessarily always equate it to credit card debt, although they should. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, the, the perception of the positive economic indicators continue to uh, be a driving force as to how people behave. Well, just uh, one more reminder for me to send all my friends and family lots of uh, of my news stories tracking about uh, how there, there's more economic certainty right now, uh, and, and uh, we're we're on a upward trend here in the Canadian economy. Hopefully, that'll encourage them to uh, buy me even more gifts for this coming holiday season. But uh, for now, Miles, I, I do want to thank you for joining us on the show today. Thank you, Tyler. Pleasure to be here. That's Miles Gooding, National Leader of the Retail and Consumer Practice at PwC Canada. Stay with us. We're going to be talking all about real estate up next. The 2019 Emerging Trends in Real Estate Report is out from PwC Canada. And joining us today to offer insights on what we should expect from the industry in the coming year is John Bunting. He's a leader of BC Region Real Estate Practice at PwC Canada. John, great to have you back on the show. Uh, great to be back. Thanks. Tell me a little bit, because uh, I'm thinking we've got municipal elections going on. Makes it very topical, because in this report, you bring up the fact that maybe municipalities need to take more of the right steps to introduce rental stock. What are kinds of the things that maybe some local politicians or local political hopefuls should be paying attention to with regards to policies that would give us more access to rental stock going forward? Well, I think, yeah, first of all, I, the individuals that we, review, we interviewed in Vancouver all are sort of sitting on their hands waiting for the results of the municipal elections. A lot of the, a lot of work that's gone in, um, that's going on in planning departments in, uh, in the municipalities in Vancouver has slowed down as a result of, of the, uh, the election process. So I think it's being, it's going to be interesting to see what, uh, what the response will be to that particular, these particular issues once, uh, the new, the new mayors and their councils are in place. Um, 
In terms of uh, steps that uh, the industry is looking for the cities to assist with, I, I think it's really, uh, if I can put it uh, in simple terms, kind of getting out of the way, which is, uh, you know, accelerating the uh, the actual approval process for new projects, whether they're uh, for sale, multifamily developments, or uh, for uh, uh, rental stock. So I think it's really trying to streamline and facilitate um, uh, the process of uh, getting new, new projects in the pipeline. I was attending the uh, Cascadia Innovation Quarter Conference yesterday, and one of the speakers there was urbanist uh, Richard Florida. And people are asking mm-hmm. him, you know, are, are zoning issues getting in the way of introducing more affordability across both Seattle, which is having difficulty right now, as well as across Vancouver? What What is your stance right now with regards to maybe some zoning issues that, that would help things go a little bit more expediently moving forward? Well, you know, I can't speak uh, in detail on on zoning issues because it's really a city issue, uh, and as a, it's a, uh, to a large extent, it's a it's a local political issue um, at the city level. Um, um, as I as I indicated before, I think I think what the um, what the builders are looking for uh, is um, a, a process that is more uh, streamlined and efficient uh, uh, to get projects in place. I mean, one of the issues with affordability in Vancouver, obviously, is supply side. There's been a lot of de- demand side um, activities uh, put in place uh, by uh, governments in recent in recent years. Um, uh, with respect to you know foreign buyers tax and empty homes taxes and increases in property taxes generally, uh, but on the supply side there there uh, there hasn't been any any obvious measures taken by the cities and I think what the developers are looking for is some is some um, some uh, some some you know better I'll call it supply side um, planning um, Activities in general to, to facilitate quicker approvals of new projects, whether they're rental or, or 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 for sale projects. Well, if we look into the next year, though, I am wondering about where we are with regards to some of the mechanisms that are being introduced by you know higher levels of government with regards to say foreign buyers tax. We also have say new measures from Ottawa with regards to a stress test for mortgages. Are these tools and mechanisms are are they having the intended impact on maybe cooling off a market like Vancouver? And, and would that actually have any effect on affordability? Because there's a lot of debate right now. Well, okay, maybe sales are being affected, but does that mean that prices are actually going down? Uh, I, I think that in the residential real estate market in Vancouver specifically, um, the some of the measures that you've you've mentioned have certainly caused um, the, um, the the level of activity in terms of uh, sales volumes for single family and and to a certain extent multifamily now. Uh, to decrease, so the volumes are down. Um, prices haven't haven't been coming down uh, at the same at the same rate. Uh, so it's really you know you've got you're, you've swung to a more traditional um, I'll call it listings to sales volumes uh, levels. Um, uh, prices don't seem to be responding as quickly as the as the volumes. So uh, so I think what what's happened is the uh, as, as the various measures you made reference to have, have definitely taken. Uh, some um, some um, uh, air out of the market, uh, but prices don't seem to be falling. A, l- a lot of this, um, a lot of the measures that have been taken, I think, uh, uh, have really been focused, at least uh, provincially, then uh, have been focused at at the higher end of the market. You know, if you're foreign buyers taxes and empty homes taxes, and in- increases in taxes on properties over three million dollars. So those are those are really focused on on high end homes. 
which frankly don't really solve the affordability crisis um, because most people aren't ever going to be able to afford those homes anyway. Um, uh, and uh, and so um, so really, I think uh, you know the, the the interesting part of the market is the is the is the multifamily and and um, and and homes in the suburbs where uh, where the average buyer is going to be more more likely to be able to afford them. So um, now. Uh, what are we hearing from some of the uh, in- interviews in, in Vancouver? I think what they're, they're saying is that they probably um, they're, they're much more cautious about the, about the type of product they're building. Um, I think um, sort of the high-end multifamily projects um, are probably less likely to to go ahead uh, in this marketplace. But but generally, uh, there's still a lot of activity and, and build in in, uh, in multifamily. You know, if we switch our attention over to, say, office space demands, I talked to a lot of the people on this show, and it's very tight in downtown Vancouver. So where does that leave people? Where does that leave investors with regards to where they're looking and what's actually looking quite enticing right now? Investors in in office specific? Of course, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so downtown demand is is, is very high. Um um, you know the vacancy rates in downtown Vancouver. I think generally the vacancy rates in office in Vancouver are sort of in the four to five percent range, but but for Class A downtown, the vacancy rates are probably less than one percent, um, and uh, the absorption rates on new projects are very high. Um, uh, so um, so I think um, I think what investors are looking at is. You know what is what what does um, what does demand demand look like um, four or five years out uh, when new projects could be expected to come online? So, uh, so when investors are looking at downtown Class A office space, uh, they're really looking at you know what what's not what the what's the market like right now, but what what's it going to look like in five years? So, uh, I think office generally in Vancouver and across Canada looks pretty good as an investment as a um, as a uh, category to invest in. Well, one one of the trends that I, I can't help but observe, but it seems as if new, uh, like a new co-working space is opening up at pretty much every downtown tower uh, across Vancouver at this point. Uh, where do you imagine this trend is it picking up? Is it going to be on the wane by the time we get into 2019? Oh, for sure. I think, I think the, uh, you know, co-working uh, is here to stay. <clears throat> um, and I think our report talks about, uh, uh, the the flex flex office space uh, forecasting to be sort of almost thirty percent of corporate real estate portfolios by um, by by twenty thirty. Um, so the um, you know the, the companies around the world are looking for more flexibility in in, in the way they use space and um, and the way they they rent it. And um, and so I think uh, co working is here to stay. Well, one of the other and you see oh, that, I'm uh, sorry, there's, go ahead. there's uh, you know got, you've got your big co working. Names like WeWork and Regis and Hive, but there's if you if you if you uh, do some research around the world, there's there's um, there's literally hundreds of co-working uh, uh, outfits popping up all around the world. And the other thing that that I think is facing a bit of a shakeup with regards to uh, real estate, though, is say the retail market. Uh, as we're looking at say what e-commerce is doing, and I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about whether retail spaces that they're kind of trying to rethink how they approach things as we have a, a lot more competition coming from these you know big giants like Amazon for example that don't necessarily need to occupy all this retail space that we're so used to seeing here in Vancouver yeah and I think uh, the, the simple way to answer that is um, 
investors in retail are uh, they're cautious. Um, they're obviously looking at uh, what the the ultimate um, impact of um, you know uh, the disruptors, retail disruptors like Amazon will will be. Um, and what impact that will have on storefront retail. Um, the interviews that we did in Vancouver, the investors in retail were still were, still liked to retail, um, but they they were definitely cautious about um, the new investment in retail and what they were going to do with their existing space. Uh, now, what what we're seeing is in um, in some classes of retail, like uh, large urban malls, is um, is a, a redevelopment a strategy, which is to turn existing assets into multi-use. Um, so they're taking, and we see that in in Vancouver and in, in malls like Brentwood and, and Oak Ridge, um, where they're taking existing um, existing mall properties and turning them into mixed-use, uh, you know, retail, residential, um, schools, um, uh, community facilities, and that's that seems to be the wave of, of, of some of that retail. Well, uh, just before we wrap up, though, uh, I, I, we have been talking to a lot of mayoral candidates here in Vancouver proper, and, and I, I want to throw this back at you with regards to industrial land demand, because uh, I, I've been asking them questions about how do you really tackle an issue like this, but but where are we right now with regards to just like the scarcity of industrial land? Is there going to be any relief? Are, are we going to have maybe owners think about the way that they're, you know, dealing with the land moving forward. Where do you stand right now with regards to prospects for industrial land here in Vancouver? Well, I mean, the, the, there's a, a, a scarcity of industrial land, I think, in, in Canada in general, and I think, um, and and Vancouver is probably got the the biggest issue in terms of uh, scarcity of uh, um, of supply relative to demand. Um, so industrial land is is scarce, um, and um, the uh, the the deals that come up are are sought after heavily. They're very expensive. Um, so I think uh, at least the, the companies that we interviewed here in Vancouver, uh, to the extent they have industrial holdings, what they're looking at at this stage is is redeveloping the existing assets. Um, it, it, as far as what the <clears throat> the municipal and, and provincial governments are going to do to release new land into uh, a developable. A developable pool. It'll be interesting to see what happens, um, you know, when the new mayors are in place and that uh, and that dialogue happens. Yeah, I, I am fascinated. I think if you look across all of the metro region, that there's going to be some major political shakeups and how that shakes out with regards to how they address, you know, everything from zoning bylaws to just the affordability issue. I think we are in for some changes with regards to kind of the, the real estate sector, but it's just going to be to the degree of which changes we'll be seeing. And maybe we can uh, follow up again uh, when we get a you know, clearer picture of what's going to be happening maybe in a year or so. But uh, John, for now, I want to thank you for joining us on the program. My pleasure. That's John Bunting, leader of BC Region Real Estate Practice at PwC Canada. And that's it for BIV today. Thank you for listening. You can find our archives on iTunes and Stitcher. You can also find all our news stories at BIV.com. We'll be back next time. <laughs>